an MFA is going to give you the ability, one, to teach. Two, to understand the business more, not just the writing, but how does the business operate? How do you move in it? What is the pitch deck? How do you deal with that? How do you take a meeting with an agent so that it's, you're someone they remember? Not only do you have to write stories that are authentic, but you have to be such an interesting, authentic individual that other people who interview you want to be locked in a room with you for 14 hours a day while you try to figure out what's wrong with Act 3. Welcome to Best in Fest. I'm Leslie Lepage, the director of the La Femme International Film Festival, and this is a podcast for people who are interested in advancing their career in television and film and learning all the dirty little secrets of Hollywood. Today, my guest I'm so pleased to have is Rosanna Welch, and she is amazing as a writer, as somebody who is a teacher of writing. She actually has her PhD and serves as the executive director of Stevens College MFA program in TV and screenwriting. Her television credits include Beverly Hills 90210, which frankly was one of my favorites, Bacon Fences, uh, ABC News, Nightline, Touched by an Angel. Uh, she also uh, edited When Women Wrote Hollywood which is amazing. If you haven't picked that up, you guys should definitely go see that. She co-edited Women in American History, a social, political, and cultural encyclopedia. She also serves as uh, book reviews as the editor for the Journal of Screenwriting. So welcome. How are you? And welcome to Best Invest. Thank you so much. I'm always excited to be with you. We have a fun time at the festival, and it's just a little crazy, of course, in the Everything right now, I've been traveling, so I apologize for being a little bit late, but it's lovely to be here. You're fine. No worries. Listen, we are in the boom of television, right? We're going through this surgence that we haven't seen since the 1950s when television was emerging as this new technology, and now we're in this content boom of TV and TV writing. So let's talk about what that is. I mean... You're starting to see people that may not have representation or have representation getting picked up. But let's talk about what this boom is, what it, what it really means right now. Okay. Well, let me tell you, the beautiful thing about it is that people always say, wait, is it a good time to write TV or not? And clearly, if that's what you do, it's always a good time. All right. That's what you do. You have to go in there and do it. What's happening now is because of streaming, we have so many outlets for the viewer, it's almost hard because you can't decide what to watch. There's so much to see. But for the writers, there are so many opportunities. We have, you know, if you're doing a streaming show, if you're doing something that's eight episodes, then you can jump to something else that's eight episodes, as opposed to being on a show for 10 years and it's all the same thing for all that time. Um, I would say that what works about it is we also don't have to worry about the word broadcast, as we know, meant broadcasting. I want to see everybody watch this show. Everybody doesn't like the same thing, and so lots of everybody's didn't see themselves on television, didn't have a moment to see representation. Now, we can have a show like Pose, right? And let's watch the ball culture in the, in the 1980s and see what that was about. And you can do something that has a smaller audience, a niche audience, but it's the story you want to tell, and it's people there who want to see it. So I think that's really important, and what you said earlier I think we need to touch on it used to be you had to have an agent. Of course, it helps. No one's going to say it's not a good idea. But because there's the internet and the world of web series that you can do on your own and put out in the world, it's your effort. It costs you that, which is something. But in fact, 
if somebody stumbles on it, if you're Issa Rae and you've got a show on and they suddenly you've got a show on HBO, yes, that won't happen to everyone, but it can't happen to you at all if you don't put material out there, which is what film festivals are all about. You're creating pieces that other people can find you from. Well, let's talk about that. So when you are, when the writer is saying, okay, I want to create this TV, you know, series, they're going to have to provide and write a pilot. They're going to have to write their Bible and treatment. That is their show Bible. Um, and then what's the next step? Is it, is it better if they are, let's take it from, they're not represented. Okay, which is the majority of the writers out there. Okay, they're not represented and they've created what they think is the next big, big, awesome TV show for streaming, for broadcast or whatever. What's the next step? Should they go into the festival circuit? Should they try and do cold calling to agents and managers? What is what's the path for them? Well, it's scary because there's a million paths and that's always been true. Uh, I worked with someone who got his script to a producer because he was a ski instructor and his client was the producer's wife. And she read it, she liked it, she gave it to her husband, he liked it, he hired the guy as a writer. But that's the unusual story, but yes. that's the unusual yes. story. But it just shows that there's a bunch of paths. And right now I would say you have two options with a piece like that. Yes, of course you try to approach agents, but in all fairness and all honesty, I've never known anyone who got an agent without having a friend who had an agent who then showed it to their agent. Agents are overwhelmed. They have stacks, although not it's all PDFs, but stacks and stacks of things to read. They start with the stuff they have to read for their agency. They go to the stuff they should read individually that their clients ask them because it's a favor to their clients. Then they might go to something their gardener asked them to read as a favor to get, you know, better rose clippings. Uh, they never get to the unsolicited pile. They just don't. So unless you have an in, which is why I always tell people the hard thing is to do is you want to work in the business somewhere. Be a PA on a set. Be a PA in a writer's room. You've got to find a way to meet writers who then will like you and say, oh, I'll hand that to my, my agent after I've read three, at least three things that they can think, wow, this person is really good. One script, you're a one-shot wonder. Two scripts, mm, maybe you worked hard and you took a year to write them each. Can you do this in a couple of weeks? Write me one more. Okay, three, it's worth sending you to my agent if I want to do you a favor. So always look at that route, always research that route. But at the same time, the beautiful thing about the festival circuit is for the first time, not first time, for the last few years, they've begun to take TV scripts and take them seriously into competition. So yes, get them out there because the readers of those festivals are agents, they're producers, they're other writers. That's how they'll be exposed to your work. When looking at what they're picking up now. There's a verbiage that they're using. They're saying authentic stories as if the stories were not authentic before, right? Somehow magically, magically in the year 2021, it's authentic stories. Can you kind of translate that for people listening in on what the heck they mean by this? Well, it's a little scary because what they mean is something they haven't seen before. But what they want you to do is explain why it's just like something they've done before. <laughs> it's true. I mean, that is, you know, they want it to be, I, look at this new show, this thing. Like Minari, it was a beautiful movie, right? But in many ways, it's an American pioneer story. It just happens to be a Korean-American family. So that's authentic. It was truly his memory, his story. I mean, built on, not a perfect nonfiction, but built on his own story, which we had not seen before. 
um, I remember reading an article that said he was, a, uh, he was um, influenced by Willa Cather. And he thought, oh, I should go do a Willa Cather movie until he realized, wait, I can, my family did, I, I can do that, but with my visualization. And so that's what made it authentic, because we had not seen that. Pose is authentic, because we've not seen transgendered women working in this way and having this experience, right? Um, so, but then you have to say, so what's it like? What is going to sell it? How does it remind me of something else? Unless you're a big name like Ryan Murphy and you just say, I'm going to do this show. And they say, yeah, try and see what happens. Well, looking for these authentic stories or having what is a redesign of a wheel that we're already familiar with, just colored a little differently. Um, you know, what's, what's your theory or what's your procedure that you would tell a young writer how to start going about creating that story? Well, obviously, that's what we do in our program. That's what any writer's room is going to do. You're going to come into even if the show that's already on the air. When you come in, what they're looking for from you are the stories they haven't told yet. What part of you are you bringing into the room? So much of the discussion in any writer's room is always about kind of what happened to you. What's your family story? You know, what are the, what's the worst thing that ever happened to you? What's the best thing that ever happened to you? What's the craziest thing in your family that nobody is a big secret? All those things are running around in your head. And you can bring in, you know, for instance, when I was untouched by an angel, I, the joke was I always did working class, middle American, often ethnic families because I was raised by my Sicilian grandparents. So I grew up in a family like that. And other people were telling stories because they were from New York. So their authenticity was what it was like to be a kid in New York or a young person as an actor in New York. So that was the different thing that I brought to that show. Um, and that was what helped me, you know, do well on that show. So likewise, you're not always going to write your own story, but you're going to find your emotional. I say this. A lot of people say, write what you know. I think that means write what you emotionally know. And that's much broader. For instance, I love the quote Tennessee Williams once said, all writers work from the first six years of their life, the emotions of the first six years of their life. Crazy enough, I look back at a bunch of episodes of different shows I've written, and I often held the theme that men should learn to be good fathers. That's the most important job they have in life. Whether it's a workaholic father, an abusive father, I was doing all kinds of father stories. My dad left when I was six. Tennessee Williams is smarter than I could, you know, who knew? But it's the emotional truth. I don't have to be, whatever the families are made up, I know what that feels like. And that's a truth that I can tell as a theme of my story. So that makes it authentic to me, even if it's set in different cultures that I then have to research deeply if I'm going to write about it. Now, you're running the MFA writing program over at Stevens College. And, and how, uh, for young writers now, currently in 2021, do you think it's important to get that educational base so that they can have that credential when trying to propel themselves into the writing career or into that path? Obviously, a ski instructor got a job as a writer because he wrote a lot and he had a good quality piece to show someone. I believe what you get from, certainly everyone needs college education who wants to be in the business because college teaches you to learn how to learn and to learn how to adapt to change. And there is nothing in this business more than change. So those are very important. To move into the MFA world, you know, we get people who are very serious about the business. And they want to dedicate two years of their life to focusing on their own writing. And while they can do a, a, some sort of boot camp script thing, that's fine. But an MFA is going to give you the ability, one, to teach, 
Two, to understand the business more, not just the writing, but how does the business operate? How do you move in it? What is a pitch deck? How do you deal with that? How do you take a meeting with an agent so that it's, you're someone they remember? Not only do you have to write stories that are authentic, but you have to be such an interesting, authentic individual that other people who interview you want to be locked in a room with you for 14 hours a day while you try to figure out what's wrong with Act 3. And who are you? Like, you know, my joke was when I went into rooms, I don't look particularly Sicilian anymore because, like, my mother married someone who wasn't. Uh, so I make sure, like, my introductory, I'm a, I'm a former Catholic Sicilian kid from Cleveland. Oh, really? You, that's, how you, that's how you lead with? That's who I am. I don't look like that necessarily, but that's who I am inside. So you need your own elevator speech. Who are you? Um, and that hooks them. And then you got to bring that into the room because that's what they expect. See, that's interesting because that kind of touches uh, on this reverse colorism, you know, where you're coming in much like me. I'm a woman of color. Uh, I'm, I'm Spanish, but I don't lead with that. Uh, so, yeah, uh, it, it's interesting that you have to do this disclaimer just to kind of set up who you are and your point of view when you're coming into the room. Right. I mean, I've had friends will do the, you know, I'm a divorce. I'm a twice divorced woman from, I don't know, Pittsburgh or something. But I mean, what is it about you that I can't tell from looking at you? That's what I need to know. And you lead with that when you're in the room. That's that's really interesting. Well, that kind of brings us into or bridging us to uh, pitching in the room. What are the do's and don'ts of pitching in the room when you're lucky enough, let's say, to win a film festival, maybe get that opportunity um, to be brought into the room to maybe pitch that long form web series? Well, the thing about the room is you have to prove two things. You have to prove that you're a good storyteller. So you have to tell the story and you have to tell the emotional part of the story. And sometimes it's so funny. Writers forget that. Writers get involved in, let me give you the historical background and make sure you're ready for this and that. And that's all important, but it's cold. And you have to sell the warmth. Why am I going to tie into these people? What are the moments that I can visualize watching them? Oh my gosh, there's going to be the moment when the girl gets a prom date and he doesn't show up. And she's dressed at the door and no one comes. And then you go, oh, I feel that, right? So you have to be able to pitch the, the emotional beats of something in the room. And you have to, you're also at the same time pitching yourself. Can you tell a story? You're not one of those people who sits in a corner and goes, I think it'll be really good if this happens. It's not going to work. You, you, and we have shy people. There are a lot of shy people. I am clearly not. I'm Sicilian. I'm not shy. So you need to practice. We tell people to go to improv classes. You need to think about what is a persona you can invent about yourself that will allow you to move into a room. You don't have to be uber loud or anything, but you have to be engaging. And quiet is not necessarily engaging. It's difficult for someone. You need to help them be comfortable with you. You need to be a good conversationalist because you're engaging in a conversation. I'm giving you some story bits. And I need you to say, really, what happens next? And if you do that, I've got you. And then what happens next better be pretty good so you can say, oh, how do they manage that? And then you get something better. So you want to engage in that bit of a conversation. And you have to be comfortable doing that with total strangers who have listened to six other people today and seven people yesterday. And they'll listen to eight more people tomorrow. Who are they going to remember among all those names? Because they're lower-level development people will pass only a few of those to their next level and only a few of those to the next level, right? You don't get to the VP or the head of development 
until you go through that pyramid. And they got to remember you when you leave the room. So part of pitching, in your viewpoint, is not only selling yourself in an engaging way, but also being able to be that storyteller that we really all stem from, from that from the caveman era of making sounds when you're trying to describe that you just killed your, you know, animal to eat. Exactly. Exactly. So taking that 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 live pitch, I know over this craziness of covid pitches went from live in in the room to a Zoom environment. Are there different techniques in that Zoom environment that you have utilized that you can share with us? Sure. We have talked a lot about that. Of course, writers get and There have been events at the Writers Guild trying to educate everyone on this. The idea was that pitch decks have come into place, and that's just a slideshow of pictures about your piece. And don't not overwhelming number of words on the, it's just pictures. And some say you should take pictures of real actors and say so they'll think, oh, Tom Hanks would be great in this piece. And others say, eh, but I can't get Tom Hanks, so I don't even want the whole idea. So then it's fine pictures of models on you know whatever. So the, so there are different opinions about what works best. A lot of people say. They should, again, be visuals that set up the emotion and the world. If you're doing a farm piece or a city piece, what are you showing me? Some people say that's a waste because keeping them away from your eyes is not good. They should want to engage with your eyes. I keep saying the word engage, but that's clearly what it's all about. So it is not a science that we have a guaranteed set for. Many people require or ask for a pitch deck. Um, and people are working on them for fun. It helps them also. People used to do that for themselves, just on the wall. Here's a picture of the guy I'm thinking of here. So it's sharing that with someone else if it seems useful. But that's also where being a good conversationalist is important because if you see you're losing them, they're glazing over looking at pictures, throw that stuff away and make it your face right now and get them, right? Or if you see that for some reason you're not engaging them, maybe a great picture of Tom Hanks will. So whip that out there. Uh, people used to pitch, sometimes they'd bring an iPad in person as those came up. Some people used to make collages like we did in, you know, junior high, and they'd bring those in with a bunch of stuff. I had a friend once who pitched a show about a sort of a modern-day King Arthur, and he went to the trouble of creating a parchment with beautiful calligraphy, and it was like, you know, this was found in the, in the woods in London a year ago, and look, it tells us really whatever. That, that was his visual aid. So if they are useful for you, if they engage people, use them. But you don't always have to. Um, Zoom, we're just pulling out of that. Some people are like, oh, shall this be a Zoom meeting or in person? You have to be good in both places. Do you see that that uh, because of this this whole COVID and, and people are were removed from the studio offices and were working from home along with everyone else on the planet, and now that the states are opening up and the studios are starting to, to repopulate those offices with human beings are you seeing seeing that you know that that zoom the zoom pitching will completely go away or do you think they will still incorporate and have zoom pitching because frankly that's easier right i mean you're doing it you're tap, tapping in visually you don't have to have the person come into your environment you don't have to come have them come to the studio do you see that that's going to be a wave of the future as something that they're going to continue or are we going to disband that and go back to the norm? I think it's going to depend on the person. In this case, I know a couple of writers who were new up-and-coming writers. They had a couple staff jobs, but, you know, weren't, weren't solidified yet. They bought houses in Atlanta 
or other parts of the country where they could afford a house. And their idea was they would fly into L.A. One of them had a, a relative who lived here. If they were going to be in the room, they would fly in and stay with the relative for those few weeks or a couple of months because they wanted a house they could use as an investment. Um, so if they're pitching in between season when they're not in town, they're going to, you know, someone's going to say, sure, I want to hear from that person. Let's pull them up on a Zoom. So I think it's going to expand people's geographical worlds. And if you're a known commodity, they don't need to have you in person. Oh, it's so-and-so. We've worked with them before. What's your new idea? I think that's all fine. It's almost going to be like a job interview. First, Zoom good. Second one, maybe now I want you to come into the office. Will you fly into town? Will you drive up from if you live in somewhere north or something? Yeah, I think it'll be a, it'll be a hybrid at least for the next couple of years. I see. That that's interesting. That's that's good to know that they're still going to utilize that that new discovery that hey, they actually can successfully pitch on a Zoom, you know, environment. With that, have you started uh seeing that there's a difference in genre of TV shows that they're really looking to acquire? I would say we end up with this word edgy, which we're all sick of. Um, but also, also authentic, which we're not sick of because we really do want that. I, you know, any genre goes. What's funny about TV is that so many years ago, you could have said, can't do horror on TV. And now they're dying for more horror on TV, right? That becomes the thing. It didn't seem like people would, you know, TV is the thing you brought into your home that you were comfortable with. It was a group of friends, TV shows that you wanted to visit once a week and they came into your house. Different from movie theaters where you had to go see them on the big screen and pay for them. So there was a comfort and a safety to them. So the idea psychologically was no one would bring in scary creatures. But I think then, you know, a generation of kids watched movies on their computer screen in their bedroom. And somebody went, you know, they're not afraid to bring monsters into their t their little screens. Let's bring them into the TV screen. So what is your advice for a young filmmaker, a young writer coming up the ranks now? What is your advice to them on maybe content to focus on, uh, how to work the room, how to work the film festival circuit? Well, the first advice is the oldest thing in the book. Write as often and as much as you can, because everything you write gets better. People will look at early scripts and think, I can't believe I did that. All right, so it's never, you think it's great when you write it, go back and look. You know, so write, write, write. Find a way in whatever your lifestyle is that you have to make money while you're getting started that you have an hour or two to write every day. You've got to. You've got to crank out the material, and you've got to see it get better. Then, yes, if you want some training, go get that training. I think a writer's group is a most important thing because you want to continue that. Even if you do an MFA, you're going to meet some people. You have to have deadlines. Okay, I promise in two weeks we're all going to meet again and I'll have 10 pages and you'll have 10 pages. So you've got to have a group of people around you that have the same goal, that are willing to work as hard as you are. And those are the people that are going to rise together. So you've got to start with that. And then you've got a network, which is a terribly boring word. But you've got to go places. Go to Q&As when there are writers and directors speaking. You're not going to talk to them. They're on stage. You're going to talk to the people in the audience sitting around you. Why are they there? Who are they? What are their jobs? Are they already working in a company? Maybe you want to get in there. Can you help them later on? How is this? My joke is, you know, your Coppolas, your Lucases, your Spielbergs, they didn't ask people above them. They all rose together. What is a dirty little secret of Hollywood that you wish 
somebody had told you that you discovered along your path. It's not a secret anymore that it's been tough for women because toxic masculinity was nothing pretty and you couldn't turn them in because you'd never get a job again. That's not a secret anymore. I say what's beautiful about it. We are changing the world because really lovely, nice men used to also put up with bad men because they didn't want to lose their jobs. And now we're realizing, let's pump up the nice men and, and we can dump on the bad guys. So that's not a secret. Um, oddly enough, I worked on a show as an assistant and one of the women on the show, who was also an assistant, was trying to move up in the writing world, already had a kid. She was, she was married. I was married. I didn't have a kid. Um, I didn't realize that like, already the folks had decided not to give her a break. She's a mom. She doesn't commit to us. She's committed to someone else. So the anti-mom thing kept me from having a kid for like eight years. I was like, not going not gonna to fall into that trap. I'm not going to let it happen. Wow. That, that, I haven't heard that one. That's amazing. That's amazing. They dismissed her, dismissed her right off. And she was trying just as hard as me and doing just as much of her own writing and all of that. But clearly she's already committed to someone else. Crazy. That's crazy. Thank you for sharing that and all your wisdom of writing. I want to say thank you so much to Rosanna Welch for coming on Best and Fest. Uh, so for all those that want to submit their film to the film festival this year, go to Film Freeway, search on La Femme International Film Festival, uh, like us and or tap into www.lafemme.org and find us that way. You can see the video component of this Best in Fest on the Lafemme Film Festival YouTube channel. So make sure that you give us a thumbs up, <laughs> say how much you like us. And if you are interested in writing, I want to really endorse the Stephen College MFA program with uh, Rosanna Welch at the helm. She's an amazing teacher. It's an amazing program. And I know that uh, you are also offering online aspects to this program. So people should tap in. Where can they get you on social? Oh, goodness. I'm a, I've got a TikTok. All my lectures are up on TikTok in little pieces. Um, Twitter, Instagram, I'm everywhere. It's either Roseanne Welch or Dr. Roseanne Welch. Or the MFA, Stevens MFA. Stevens MFA. There you go. Tap on in and uh, put in your application. Thank you so much. Best and Fest, Rosanna. 